happy to fill in in their shoes this morning. Would you turn in your Bibles with me this morning to the book of Genesis and chapter 26? Genesis 26. Thinking of Father's Day, what is the most special or precious thing we can receive from our fathers? And then the next question, what is the most special thing that we can give to our children? It is so good to see so many young children here today. And obviously, with so many young children, there's a lot of young fathers here. So where I'd like to go today is talk about a subject that I don't hear a lot about. I'd like to look at the life of a man named Isaac. We're very familiar with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But of those four, we probably hear more about Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph than the second son. Most of us at our weddings heard a promise something like this. After pronouncing us husband and wife, there is a blessing pronounced on us. May the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob bless this union abundantly through Jesus Christ our Lord. And often the continued blessing is what therefore God joins together, let not man put asunder. Now, I don't know. I was just thinking this morning, I've been to Amish weddings. I presume that same phrase is used. Joe's shaking his head, right? I would just presume. I have to listen. We have one in July here from one of our workers and uh, have to listen a little bit more closely. So what would I like to do this morning? i like to look at Genesis 26 and just simply look at the fact that what type of blessing was pronounced on Isaac from Abraham, then what type of blessing did Abraham pass on or Isaac pass on to his sons, Jacob and Esau, and what, were the, what was the struggle with that, and how can we practically, what can we gain practically from that today in today's world? Well, one of the things I'm going to do is going to look at the wells that Isaac dug. Abraham is known for a lot of things. And there's, I looked in the Bible, I think there's 240-some verses regarding Abraham. And there's 400-some regarding Jacob. But there's only 40 regarding Isaac. So, Genesis 26. There was a famine in the land. Besides the first famine, that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and to in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. I'm going to stop right there for now. I'm going to read most of the chapter later today. But I'd like to look at some maps. I don't know what you do as you study through the Bible, but I'd like to give you a feel for what happened in the days of Abraham. 
just to help us understand a little bit better, Genesis 1 to 11 is a story of creation and the first 2,000 years of existence. Genesis 12, where God came to Abraham and first gave him a promise. And part of that promise was, I'm going to raise you up. I want you to go. Um, Let me just turn to it so I don't uh, misquote this here. I'm going to raise you up, Abraham, and this is what I want you to do. Genesis 12, the first few verses. Five times he uses the word bless. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So five times in those few verses the word bless is used. So what God is saying, he wants to pronounce a blessing on all people. And that's what I want us as fathers to be able to convey to our children. How do I pronounce a blessing? So I talked about the first uh, 11 chapters, the first 2,000 years of creation creation and uh, of the the earth. Uh, 6,000 years ago, the first 2,000 years consisted of that period of time. So from Genesis 12 all the way to the end of the Old Testament, the end of Malachi, is the next 2,000 years. And then, in a period of maybe 50, about 100 years, the New Testament was written. So for 1,900 years, the, whole, the, the Bible, the inspired Word of God, is complete, is final. So here was Abraham living in the land of Ur. He was an idolater just like most of the people were around him. But what's interesting about Abraham is he came on the scene about the year 2000, but his life crossed with Shem's life. They intersected. The same way that, you know, sometimes, you know, how do we know that the Bible is the inspired word of God? I'm just going to go into a little history things, items, before we get into Isaac's life. If we study Genesis 6 and 7, where it gives the ages of people, and we do some calculations, and we follow along with a a book like Halley's Handbook or like that, we'll see that uh, Noah's son, uh, Noah's life overlapped with, uh, well, his grandfather was Methuselah, and Methuselah's life overlapped with with, um, Adam's son, Seth. So Adam's son was able to convey, communicate during the building of the ark to Noah and his three sons the stories of what happened in Adam's life and in the early days of life. As we think of, of, of people living 900 years, that's how we know that those stories can be accurate because of the overlap in time. Sometimes we forget because The average man's life today is 70, 80, 90, how those lives overlapped and how much of those stories were communicated directly from one generation of the patriarchs to the next. So Adam or his son Seth's life overlapped. So here we look at at Abraham living in Ur, traveled about 500 miles north and west up to Haran. When he was up here, his father Terah passed away. 
And at his passing, God came to him again and told him, now I want you to leave this land and travel four to 500 miles south again to the land of Canaan. And the reason I want you to take a look at this specific slide and of what the world looked like. Back in those days, we don't realize the communication that we have, the travel that we have, air travel, car travel, boat travel, train travel, since that, that all of that was non-existent at that time. So their communication during that time was right here. And what the thing that thrilled me about this little land bridge that you look at right here, where God chose to put the land of Israel for his people and his descendants and his story and his message to be a part of is so intriguing to me. If you make a cross, if I would stand here and take a, uh, make a cross going up this way and take a cross going this way, where does it intersect? Right here in Jerusalem, which is right down here, in Jerusalem where God's story unfolds. And the reason that's exciting to me is when we think of the travels that I mentioned, before that type of travel, how did they travel? The fastest way to travel was on a horse. A slow way was on a camel. So if they were on a camel, they traveled through the desert. And this was all desert right here. So nobody traveled through here. To get from Ur to here, it would have almost been impossible to carry enough water and food and supplies and travel through well, you probably saw the heat wave in the West the last week or so. That type of condition. So people travel along river routes, and that's why they travel this way and then this way. So when people traveled to get from, uh, and let me go back and just mention, when Noah came out of the ark, he had three sons. And my understanding is that his three sons, Japheth being the oldest, the descendants of Jacob all migrated up here to this area, to the European countries. Ham, the Bible says that his descendants migrated to Egypt and then later on to Africa. And then the Shemite people are all throughout this area. So if you look at those three descendants from Noah, as they traveled in their travel time, where did they have to travel through to get from either Europe up here or up here where the Shem people lived, and down here where the Ham people lived. They had to travel through this little land bridge. And the interesting thing is, this little land bridge is about 25, if you look at it from that perspective, this little land bridge called Israel is about 25, 30 miles by the Sea of Galilee to the Mediterranean Sea. Down here by the Dead Sea, where Jerusalem is, it's probably more like 40 miles over to the Mediterranean Sea. The reason that thrills me is because in God's design, he designed that when people wanted to travel during those days and hear news, they didn't have mass communication like we did. They couldn't go on there, get news uh, from the web or from TV or just all the sources that we have. We hear instant news channels of what's happening in the world. That was not the case. So take... I want to take you back there. So what, how did they learn what's going on? Through messengers that traveled through this little land bridge. And God designed, again, if I make a cross from the European countries down through here and down through here, that cross intersects in Jerusalem, which is where the message of the Savior of the world was born in Bethlehem, 
the message of that the Savior died on Calvary's cross, that's the message that God has for us today. So where do we go with what we have and what we're looking at today in the life of Isaac? I just wanted to do that for a background. We looked at Genesis 26, and I told you that um, this is the only chapter that there's a lot recorded that all the, the whole chapter has to do with Isaac. From Genesis 12 through 50, most of that story has to do with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. But just one chapter in that has to do with Isaac. So my goal today is, if I think back of Hebrews 11, the Bible says there's 10 men that are mentioned specifically that there's verses shared about, but then there's six more. So a total of 16 men, but there's two men that it speaks about a blessing. Isaac is one of them. Isaac blessed both his sons, Jacob and Esau, as he thought about the future. That's what it says in Scripture in Hebrews 11. So I'm going to read the rest of Genesis 26, starting in verse 7, and uh, read most of it there. So follow along, and then we'd like to go back and draw some practical points from that. And the men of the place asked about his wife, and he said, She is my sister, for he was afraid to say, She's my wife, because he thought, Lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she's beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac, showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Quite obviously, she's your wife. So how could you say, she's my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might, have, might soon have lain in with, with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He who touches the man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. The man began to prosper, continue at prospering, until he became very prosperous. For he had possession of the flocks and a possession of the herds and a great number of servants. So the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped up all the wells which his father's servant had dug in the days of Abraham his father, and they had filled them with earth. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. Then Isaac departed from there and pitched his tent in the valley of Gerar and dwelt there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abram his father. For the Philistines had stopped them after the death of Abram. He called them by the names which their father had called them. And Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of running water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they quarreled with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that one also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug again another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, because he said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, 
I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you, and I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar and called on the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. I think we'll stop reading there for right now. So where do we want to go today? What do we want to get out of this? Again, Isaac was a well digger. I'm not sure. Have any of you ever heard the song, um, Pick Up Your Shovel and Dig Another Well, about Isaac? It's an old song. I heard it 30, 40 years ago. I haven't heard it for many years. But is that a familiar song to any of you? you? Have you heard a song like that? Well, I guess that kind of dates me where I'm at in the songs that I heard uh, back in my time, the songs that were singing. Uh, a song about how Isaac was a, a well digger and, and his, he had the philosophy to pick up his shovel and dig another well. What do these wells mean in our life today? What can we learn from them? Well, as we look at Adam, Isaac, his life was overshadowed by a, a, a very powerful leader in a father, Abraham. His life was then overshadowed by some sons, that got a lot of attention, Jacob and Esau. What does a famine mean? A famine is a time when, instead of crying out to God for guidance, what did, it, what did Isaac do? He went to a local king. Where did he live? As we look at this story here, um, going to... The other thing I wanted to show you before I get there is, if you look at, put the, the state of Texas in perspective of what happened in Ur, Babylon, Assyria, Nineveh, and in the Middle East, that gives you an idea how far it was to travel from one place to the next there. So now we're looking at, again, where Abraham lived, where he went, his journey, Jacob's journey, and Isaac's journey. So now I'd like to focus on this specific part right here, Isaac's journey. We'll see that Abraham and Jacob both traveled major routes all the way again from Ur to Haran. Down here, Abraham traveled to Egypt. Jacob was born here, traveled all the way up to Haran where he got his wife, lived there 20 years, traveled back into Canaan. Isaac stayed within this region right here. And I'm hoping that this is plain enough, this next slide, because this is where we're going to focus on uh, for the next remainder of our time. Isaac was born in Beersheba. By choice, he went to Gerar. His father Abraham had gone down to Egypt over here. He was on his way there when he was told, stay in this land and dwell here. We know, Genesis 22, that Isaac traveled with his father a three-day journey up to Jerusalem where the biggest sacrifice that Abraham would have ever uh, made was the sacrifice when he same as gave his son uh, in, in that way, a type of Jesus Christ. And Isaac traveled back down here and lived most of his life in this area except during the last part of his life, he lived in Hebron. So, why are these wells important? What difference do those make? Well, a well in a dry country, an arid country, is a symbol of life. Nothing happens if you don't have water. 
If you ever travel to Jerusalem, you'll find out how important water is to desert country. So what do these wells represent? That's what we like to look at now. Isaac was told, stay in Gerar. The next well that we see is the well of Isaac that we talked about in verse, um, in verse 20. Isaac simply means contention or quarreling. As we travel through life, depending on what we do in life, others won't think highly of us. There was jealousy involved. There was strife. There was quarreling. There was contention. And sometimes in our practical life, as we dig our wells and move on through life, that can happen in our life. How do we respond to that? That's my challenge to us today. Not just look at the wells that were dug, but how do I respond when that happens among my peers, among my family, among my acquaintances, in the workplaces? The next well that Isaac dug was called Sitna in verse 21. So when people, when they chased him away, he went to the next place and he dug a well called Sitna, which meant adversary or opposition. So it basically meant the same thing, but he basically gave it a different name. So again, our challenge is, how do I respond? When God raises adversaries in my life, or people that oppose us, or people that don't like us, hatred, adversaries, and oppositions. The next well he dug is called Rehoboth in verse 20, let's see, verse 22. Rehoboth simply means plenty. Now there's room for us. The Bible says, now the Lord has made room for us and we shall be fruitful. Here I see a testimony of God's faithfulness, God's blessing on our lives. Rehoboth. The Philistines ignored what was going on. They were indifferent to what was happening. The Philistines lived along the coast. They had a 10, 15-mile strip of land and probably about 40, 50 miles uh, tall, north to south. And then Isaac moved again. So we see Isaac moving four times in this area here. When he would face opposition, he would just pick up his shovel, he would move, dig another well, and dwell there. That was God's plan for his life. And then he finally came back after all those um, various of... Sometimes when we face conflicts, opposition, and the things that I talked about, God draws us back to our... Beersheba, where he wants us to be. Beersheba then means the well of an oath. Seven wells, an oath. An oath is a promise. Abraham lived on the promise that God gave him. Isaac lived on the promise that God gave him. What was that promise? Abraham's promise in Genesis 12 was, I will give you a land, number one. I will give you a nation, number two. And number three, I will make you a blessing. So those were his three promises. So what is God saying? What can we learn from all this today? Rather than just learn about wells that Isaac dug, how can I apply this? What can I take home for myself today? God is saying to us, in verse 2 and in verse 24, the Bible says the Lord appeared to Isaac. 
As Isaac was faithful in the calling that God gave him, God would appear to him. And this is what he told him. Number one, I am the God of Abraham. Number two, he said, you will have God's protection surrounding you, so don't fear. Number three, he said, you will have God's promise of blessing around you. And the last one is, you will have God's presence with you. I will be with you. If we look at Hebrews 11, almost all the men that God spoke to and who are in the Hall of Faith chapter, God said at one time or another, I will be with you. He made that promise to them, and he never forsook that promise that he gave to them. I will be with you. So that's what we can learn from the men that went before us. Now, let's talk a little bit about Isaac's life. As we think of Isaac, sometimes we think he was a young man when all this happened. Isaac was 100 years old. Excuse me. Uh, Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Isaac was 37 when his mom died. Just before his mom died is when the Bible tells us that he made that trek in Genesis 22 to Mount Moriah. I've heard people say Isaac was probably a teenager. Was he? What do you think? I had a Bible teacher that I sat under once that said he believes that because Jesus was a type of our Savior, of our sacrifice, and Isaac was, and how was how old was Jesus when he was nailed on the cross, 33? He believes that Isaac could well have been 33 years old. Not everybody agrees on that, but could well have been 33 years old. The Bible says he was a lad when he went up to Mount Moriah. Because the very next thing that's recorded in Scripture is when his mom died in, when she was 127. So if you take 90 years when, she, he was, uh, when Isaac was born and she was 127 when she died, Isaac would have been 37 years old when she died, which was the very next recorded incident after his sacrifice. Be that as it may, it doesn't matter. Some people might think he was a lad. He was a teenager. A lad, whatever it is. Isaac was 60 when Jacob and Esau were born. Isaac was 75 when his father Abraham died, and he and Ishmael buried him. Isaac was 137 when Jacob fled to Canaan. So that would have made him 157 when Jacob came back, when he fled from Canaan to Haran, 137. When he came back, he was 157 years old. And then the Bible says he was 180 when he died. So I just want to challenge us. How did Abraham live his life? How did Isaac live his life? How did Jacob live his life? All three of those men, the patriarchs, the blessing that we pronounce, that we use as a blessing today, was given, their lives were meant to bless others, so we as fathers can do the same thing. The greatest thing we can receive from our dads is if we know they give us the blessing of living, of prosperity, the blessing of that God is with us, the blessing of a godly influence. The greatest thing we can give to our children is to pass that same blessing on to them. 
I'm not going to go into it. I'm just going to address briefly the next uh, chapter, which is chapter 27. Chapter 27, we see a struggle because Isaac and Rebekah, after many years of living together, certainly didn't harmonize on which son should receive the blessing, right? Isaac wanted to bless the oldest son, Esau, the firstborn. They were twins, but the Bible says he was the firstborn. The Bible had clearly said the younger will serve, the elder will serve the younger. In other words, Esau will serve Jacob's generation. Isaac tried to reverse that, and it didn't work. But if you look at that chapter, ten times the word bless is used when he's referring to the first half when they're trying to get the blessing, um, and, and Rebekah deceived Isaac by sending Jacob when he thought it was Esau. Ten times the word bless is used again during the next part of it when Esau then cried out bitterly and said, Father, please bless me. Oh, Dad, don't you have a second blessing? So what can we learn from that? I believe the things that we can learn as I wrap this up, water is life. Water is nourishment. Spiritual resources sustain previous generations and are available for us today. Water is life to us if we realize it or not. How long could we survive on a hot day without water? Every day, that's the way it is. The wells that Isaac dug are a representation of life. We go through difficulties in life, but God always calls us back to Beersheba. God calls us back to where he wants us to be. So my challenge to all of us today is, what do we do to pronounce a blessing on our children? Do we put forth every effort? Are we like Abraham, that we freely bless a son Isaac? Are we like Isaac, that we tend to favor some of our children and try to bless the others? Where do we find ourselves today? God wants us to offer a blessing to our children. Simply, dads, just put your hands out in the evening, or it doesn't have to be in the evening, and just bless your children. Speak blessing unto their life. Tell them that you see quality and value in them and what they can become in life. That is my encouragement to all of us as dads today. As I wrap up the day, I want to thank you all for coming, for listening. I also want to thank a man that's in the back, John Harrison and his wife. He was a pastor at Millsburg Community Church for many years. Um, I see him at, um, we eat at the same restaurant a lot, and I happened to see him last night, and he's also a retired pastor, spends half his time in Florida, or more than half, right? Is an evangelist, and um, he's been a good friend of mine. If you want to turn around and wave at John, he's back there in the corner, and his wife. I'm trying to think of your name. Jenny, Jenny there we go. So he's been a blessing in my life. He's been an encouragement to us. And last night as we were communicating, he said, where are you going to preach tomorrow? And I said, well, I don't preach on a regular basis, but tomorrow I happen to be at Providence. And I told him where that's at, and he's here today. John, do you have a word for us before we close? Anything you want to say? John and Jenny have served our community well. First of all, in the Millersburg area, and now wherever they go. And uh, it's 
My father doesn't live for two years anymore. I felt so blessed when on his deathbed, deathbed, dad spoke blessing into my life. Now, I look for men like John and others that speak encouragement, speak blessing into your lives. It never quits. As I sit here and I look out, I see Saretta sitting over here. And I've mentioned this before, but her father, Yuri Miller, was my Sunday school teacher as a 10, 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old many times. He spoke blessing into my life. I have received so much good from people that spoke blessing into my life. Never quit. Always do that. Father, thank you for this congregation. Thank you for how we can be together today. Worship the Lord in spirit and truth. I pray for a blessing on Pastor Marcus, Pastor Chris, the elders here, and each one sitting under the sound of my voice today. May this church continue to be fruitful, that many souls can be won to Jesus Christ, and most of all, that we can live for Jesus, follow Jesus, keep short accounts with sin, and be ready to meet Jesus in the clouds, in the air, when you return to receive us. Thank you for this opportunity to be here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Brent, back to you. Thank you, Dennis. Thanks for coming, sharing from Scripture, um, just, again, showing your passion for Scripture, for the Word of God.